like the current top trending Twitter topic. How can you even say that? Or, or, the, or the latest economic indicators that tell you that unemployment has gone down in the last 15 minutes. Or the blah, 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 some 24, you, get, you know where I'm going with this. Oh, but such a story as this can fill your heart with joy, make your spirit soar. You have never heard the story the way I'm getting ready to tell it. The book. People read the book, and, and, and the book is good. It's, it's marvelous, but it has such economy of words that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that these are real people. Real people living real lives with real feelings and emotions and the same fears and hopes and dreams that people have today. I am that very Joseph who was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Nathan, who was the son of Eliezer, who was descended from King David. I could trace my lineage for you all the way back to King David, but I'm not going to do that because you have very short attention spans. <laughs> and you would not find that very interesting. Ancestry is important to us Jews. Not for the reasons that some people today like to seek out their ancestors so they can say, well, my ancestor was the great so-and-so did such and such. No, 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 it's not, it's not to brag. It's important to us because it tells us who we are. A lot of your people are not interested in where they came from. And so who they are is defined by some famous athlete or musician or, or actor or politician, some fantasy rather than who they really are, where they really came from. Though I am descended from kings, I myself was not a king. I was, I was a carpenter. Not that there's anything wrong or, or shameful about being a carpenter. I often hear people of your day speak of it as if it was some sort of disease or something. They say, he was born into the home of a humble carpenter. Well, I appreciate the compliment, but how do they know I was humble? There have never been any arrogant carpenters. Do you know any carpenters? Think about it. In my day, a carpenter was a very important person in the village. If you didn't have a good carpenter, I hope you enjoy sitting on the floor. Even today, your wife, she may want, I don't know, some electric something or other, some can opener or food processor, whatever that is. But guess what? If she doesn't have a table, guess which one she wants first? See, a carpenter is a very important person. I was born in Bethlehem. But when I was very young, my folks moved up north to Nazareth. And that's where I grew up and, and apprenticed, began to ply my trade. I was like most any other young man, I, I worked hard. I, uh, I went to the synagogue every Sabbath, and I, I kept my eye out for a good wife. 
I'll never forget the first time I saw Mary. Why oh, I'd seen her, you know, growing up and everything, but I mean really saw her. You know what I mean. It's like she's just there, and then one day, hers is the only face you can see. And everywhere you go, you look to see if, if maybe she's there. And, and if your eyes find her, it's like they have a will of their own, and they just, they just turn and look at her. It happened to me one day at the synagogue. Mary was coming in with her friends. She had just turned 13. She was right at the age of marriage. I know that you wait a little longer these days, but, but think, I mean, there, was no, there were no universities to go to. There was no high school to attend, no junior high to attend. And when your life expectancy is only 40-something, you've got to get busy. She walked in the door with her friends, and there was just something about the way that the sunlight caught her smile. I'd never seen such a smile. And I knew this is the one that I want for my wife. Little did I know all that that decision would involve. I went and I, I talked to the rabbi about this and about my feelings for Mary. He, he very much uh, approved of my decision. And he agreed to go and speak to Mary's family on my behalf. Now, normally, <clears throat> an older relative would go and do this, but my parents were, were dead. And, and up here in Nazareth, I didn't have any other family. So the, the rabbi agreed to do it for me. He said he would do it that very week. So... He went, and that was the longest week of my life. But finally, he came back to me on the day before the next Sabbath, and, and after a little good-natured teasing, he told me that it was done. Mary and I were betrothed. Now, that may seem sudden to some of you, but we had known each other all of our lives, and, and, and betrothal in our culture would last a very long time, usually for at least a year. And during that time, the, the couple is considered to be as good as married, only the, uh, the groom does not take the bride home to lie with her until the official ceremony takes place. Those first few months were wonderful. Every day I spent at least some time with Mary, getting to know her better and, and better. And, and then every night I would thank the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I could... Hardly believe my good fortune that finding such a wife, not only was she beautiful, but she was witty and, and charming and, and, and skillful and, and virtuous. Above all else, Mary was virtuous. But this is a fallen world and things don't tend to go really good all the time. After a while, I, I began to notice a change that came over Mary, a change that troubled me a great deal. I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew that something was wrong. I thought maybe it was me. I, I thought maybe she, I had done something, and she was displeased with me for some reason. 
And so I, I purposed to ask her what was wrong. Now, I was very young at the time. I did not yet know much about women. I did not yet know that you don't actually get any information out of a woman by asking her what is wrong. In fact, that sort of puts the shields up, you know. There's a game that's involved that you have to learn. It's a game that most men find either juvenile and infuriating or mysterious and exciting. Depending upon your point of view and your, and your frame of mind. Well, after a few difficult days of learning this game, Mary finally told me what was wrong. And when she did, it was like It was like all of the lights in the world had gone off. It was like someone had reached their hand into my chest and ripped out my heart. It was like some thief had stolen into my soul and taken all of the light and joy and, and life. Because my Mary, my sweet, tender, young, virtuous Mary, going to have a baby and I swear I had not touched her in that way she could see I was not taking this very well and so she decided to to tell me everything and when she did I, I I was I was prepared to get away I was I was prepared to take revenge I was even prepared to forgive. But I was not prepared for what she told me. She said that an angel had appeared to her and had told her that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And when she had asked him how this could be, seeing as she had never been with a man, the angel said to her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that the, the holy seed would be placed within her, and this child to be born would be called the Son of God. I just, I just left. I, I had to get alone to think. One minute I would think, what if she really is going to have the Messiah? And then the next minute I would think, what kind of a fool does she take me for? But mostly I just thought I was betrothed to a crazy woman. So I went to talk to the rabbi. He would have to know if the betrothal would end, he would be the one that would have to represent me. He was no less shocked than, than I was at Mary's condition. But being somewhat older and wiser, he was able to advise me. And, and he, he said that I shouldn't, I shouldn't act right 
way that I should take a few days and I should seek the Lord's will about this matter, that perhaps the Lord would speak to me. I didn't know the Lord would speak to one such as me, but the rabbi says the Lord can speak to anybody. What did I have to lose? He was right. I, everything was lost already. And so I, I went and I took some time. According to the law of Moses, I could have had her stoned. Uh, we didn't actually stone people that much in those days. The, the, uh, the current method was public disgrace. But I decided that I would not do that. I decided that I would put her away quietly. In order to end a betrothal required divorce, but it could be done in certain ways. And I knew the rabbi would help me. But on the night before the day that I went to give my decision to the rabbi, I had the most vivid dream of my life. An angel came to me. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. For what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. When I woke up, it was like... It was like all of the lights had been turned back on again. I could hardly wait to go and, and find Mary and, and tell her what had happened. When I, when I found her, I could see that, uh, if anything, she had had a worse week than I had had. She was very afraid of of what I was coming to tell her. I mean, it's one thing to, to have the power to stone somebody. It's something else for someone to have that power over you. I saw the fear on her face. I couldn't tease her. I couldn't, I, I couldn't drag it out. I just said, Mary, it's all right. I believe you. It's one of the most wonderful moments of my life. Well, now our concern was the rabbi. I mean, how was he not going to think that we hadn't just made all of this up in order to, to cover over our, our sin? And what about the village? I mean, what, who, was, who was not going to believe that I was not responsible for this? What would that do to my business? And all of these questions... You can imagine uh, going through my mind, but I really believed God is going to take care of this. So when I went to see the rabbi, he was very supportive. He was among those people who had been eagerly waiting for the coming of Messiah, and he'd been searching the scripture, and he had some news for me. According to the prophet Isaiah, Messiah indeed was to be born of a virgin. Well, this was overwhelming. I mean, who could believe that my Mary was the virgin that the prophet Isaiah had spoken of? But then I got to thinking. 
somebody's got to be the virgin. She's certainly the one that I would choose. These next few weeks went by like a flash. We decided, we decided that Mary should go and visit her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country down south in Judea because the angel had spoken to her and it told her that her cousin Elizabeth was also with child. Now, Elizabeth was a good deal older than Mary. In fact, she was beyond the age of childbearing. And she had always been barren. But the angel told her that Elizabeth was going to have a child. So we said, let's go see. Or, you go see. When she went, not only was Elizabeth going to have a child, but Elizabeth's child had been foretold by an angelic visitation as well. And it had been prophesied about him that he would be the forerunner of Messiah who would be coming right behind him. And even more, as soon as Elizabeth saw Mary, before Mary said a word to her, she greeted her by calling her the mother of our Lord. How'd she know? Only the rabbi and Mary and myself, we were the only three who knew. Her visit to Elizabeth greatly increased her faith. But this also didn't last very long because the very next day, the rabbi sends me an, a message and, and wants me to come to him. I come to him, and he doesn't look very happy. He's, he has continued to search the prophets, and he's discovered a big problem. According to the prophet Micah, it is written, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are the least among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over my people Israel, one whose going forth is from of old, from ancient times. The rabbi said that this referred to Messiah, and it meant that Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. But I was born in Bethlehem, I said. That, that, that's my hometown. The rabbi just shook his head. No. Messiah has to be born in Bethlehem. I felt sick. This was the worst I had felt since Mary told me that she was going to have a baby. But when I went to tell Mary, she just grinned and said, God will provide a way. <laughs> Women. <laughs> and she was right, of course. Well, time flew by. And I was beginning to get concerned. I mean, Mary could dress in such a way as to, to conceal her condition, but very soon well, the child would be born, and he could not be concealed. And then I get another urgent message from the rabbi. He wants me to come immediately. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that he might be sick or something. So I, I get there to him, and, and he looks perfectly healthy. In fact, he looks perfectly healthy and happy. In fact, he's smiling. He's obviously bursting with some news to tell me. I go, what is it? What, what's the emergency? He says, Joseph, I have just received a decree from Caesar Augustus to be read to all of the people. <laughs> but I wanted to tell you first. A decree from the emperor. Then that's not usually good news. <laughs> what's the decree? Caesar Augustus has declared 
that there is to be a census taken of the entire Roman world. I thought, well, okay. For most of the Roman world, that's not much of a problem. But for us Jews, this is going to cause great hardship. Everybody is going to have to be uprooted and go back to the, the town that they're originally from. And, and, and it's going to disrupt families and trade. And, and many of them don't even know anybody there anymore and are not going to be able to come. And the more I complained about it, the, more the, the happier this rabbi seemed to get. And he said, uh, yes, Joseph, son of David. It means that you and your new wife, Mary, are going to have to leave Nazareth. Son of David. Well, that's right. I wasn't usually referred to that way. But didn't he understand that not only was this going to cause disruption to my business, but Mary was in no shape to travel, seeing that she was going to have... And then it hit me. Bethlehem. We we're going to have to go to Bethlehem. <laughs> and that right away. <laughs> well, when the rabbi saw what got through my thick skull and finally hit my brain and hit my face, when he saw that, he just laughed and laughed and he clapped and clapped. And I started laughing and I started clapping. And, and then he danced around the room and I started dancing around. We made a men's dance around the room. And. and <laughs> But best of all, I was the one who was going to get to tell Mary about this. You know, I think she would have been more excited with, if not for the fact that she was nine months pregnant. <laughs> Being from Nazareth, which is not on any of your major trade routes, we were not among the first to hear this news. So we had to, we had to pack up our things right away. We, uh, we, we sold a few things, we gave a few things away, we loaded things on the donkey, and we set off right away. Considering the distance and the terrain and Mary's condition, I, I figured we would be doing good to arrive within a week. I won't bore you with the details of the trip, but it certainly had its ups and downs. Traveling with a pregnant woman on a donkey can be quite an experience. But Mary never complained, not once, not to me anyway. But still, I knew it was difficult. In fact, the last couple of days that we traveled, I spent all of my time praying under my, under my breath, but with all of my heart, oh God, please don't let the birth of this child cost me the life of my new wife. On the evening of the fifth day, we finally arrived in Bethlehem, and it was calling with people. There were so many you could hardly move, and there was, there was no place to stay, and we'd been gone since I was a baby. I didn't know anyone there, but God gave us grace, and and we found favor with, a, with an innkeeper. He allowed us to, to use the, the stable behind his, behind his inn. It was actually a cave with, with animals. But we didn't care. I mean, it was, it was warm. It was dry. And, and Mary was getting ready to be delivered of this child. So we settled in, and a couple of hours later, 
I heard that most wonderful sound. The sound of a newborn baby cry. You, you may think that you're getting something good for Christmas or there may be something you're excited about. But, but for me, my Christmas present, Mary was alive. She was well. And the child, the child was a boy. I, I, that sounds silly, I know, but doubts. It was a boy, just like we have been told. The innkeeper's wife was gracious to us, and, and, and she brought some strips of cloth out. Mary wrapped the baby in the, in the strips of cloth. I certainly hadn't had time to, to make a crib, so I, I cleaned out a manger and put some some fresh straw in there, and, and that's where Mary laid the baby. We settled in. But later that night, there was some commotion outside. Strangers. Uh, well, I, my first thought was, this must be bandits. I mean, so many people about, so many travelers, they're bound to be bandits. Maybe they're whole, looking for a place to hold up for the night. So I, I grabbed my staff and I went outside. But it was shepherds. Is he here? They asked. Is who here? I said. The one, the one who was born to be king of the Jews, the, the Savior. Is he here? And they told us how angels had appeared to them that very night and told them that in the city of David, a Savior had been born, Christ the Lord, and that they would know him because he would be wrapped in strips of cloth and laying in a manger. It is wonderful the way God reveals himself and confirms himself. Well, there's more to the story, of course. I could tell you about uh, several months later, Magi coming from the east, and having seen his star and following the star. I could tell you about having another dream where an angel told me to escape to Egypt saved the child from Herod and the slaughter that he brought on that area. But this is enough for now. Now you know my story. You know part of it. My, my story is, is connected to Jesus, the Savior. The angel told me that he would save his people. Little did I know that his people weren't just the Jews, but all mankind. I wonder, I wonder about your story. Is it connected to Jesus? Do, do you know him? If you do, then 
Maybe someday we'll meet in eternity, and I, we'll sit down, and I, I can tell you the rest of my story. And you can tell me yours. No less miraculous than mine. I would like that. I would like that very much. Oh, by the way, Merry Christmas. The scriptures are the story of God and mankind, his creation. And as we go through the scriptures, we see man's rebellion against God, his separation from him. And even though that mankind knew that there was a God, they would not acknowledge him and would go their own way. We're all part of mankind. And therefore, each one of us have the exact same story. As every human being that's ever lived, having that choice whether to acknowledge God and to follow him or not, or to go our own way. And so that's your story, and that's my story. Many in here this morning have said, yes, I acknowledge God. I acknowledge Jesus Christ as his son. And I've asked him into my life for the forgiveness of my sin and rebellion against him. And God's changed our lives. We were born again and given his spirit to dwell within us. That's our story. And so each one of us have to make that decision. What's going to be the story of our life? Do we take this savior or reject him? That's really what your life is about and what my life is about. But the Lord was so precious to make a way back to him for us to be forgiven and for us to be part of his family. When the angel came to Mary and told her the story, it was hard for her to believe that, but she did. Because the angel told her that nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible for God. What's a statement to be made and what a statement to be believed? And I say to you this morning that in your life there is nothing that is impossible for God to do. And the greatest thing is to forgive you and to draw you close to him, to be brought into his family and given eternal life with him. Nothing's impossible. And Mary believed it as did Joseph, and now millions of other people. Joseph knew, as the angel spoke to him, that this son would save the people from their sins. The shepherds were told that this baby is a savior. The whole point of Jesus' coming and of the story is that he could redeem mankind, that he could redeem you, and that he could redeem me and bring us to the Father and to be forgiven and become righteous in his sight. 
I'd just like to read a short passage of scripture here. And then Ronnie, as he shared with us this morning, talked about Elizabeth. Her husband was Zachariah and the birth of John the Baptist and him being the prophet coming before Christ. And when John was born and he was going to be named and Zachariah's mouth and heart was opened. And this is what he said about his son, John, and about Christ. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, and in the house of his servant David, as he has said through the holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet onto the path of peace. Our heart's desire here at the church is that your story would change. That you can live a life redeemed through Christ and to be able to look at God and to look at other people and say, Nothing's impossible for my God. Nothing. And to live a life day by day, believing that, knowing first and foremost that impossible thing of sin that separated you from God has been washed away by the blood of Christ. And he has given you his spirit to be able to guide you and direct you and to be able to live for him and to worship him. And then throughout the rest of your days, before you go home to meet your God, to say, today, nothing's impossible for my God. And so I'm going to ask those who are going to pray with the people just to come forward here for a moment. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. We're just going to worship for a moment and give you the opportunity to have your story change. There's a Redeemer that's come for you, specifically for you to forgive you of your sin and for you to be able to say I'm changed and that I can live today not afraid of dying not filled with fear but to be able to say nothing is impossible for my God for any need that you have we'd love to have the opportunity and privilege to pray with you so just come or we're going to take a few minutes let you pray with somebody and then we'll close the service.
forget God will not give up on you God is constantly reaching out to you to redeem you and to draw him you to him and to know him and to live a life filled with love and hope and not fear father we just thank you for who you are and your character that does not change knowing that every good thing comes from above and that your son came from above to redeem us and to forgive us. I ask you to make your face shine upon every person here, Father. Lift your countenance towards them, Father, and may know the hope of redemption. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. God bless. <laughs>